You're listening to Liberty Buzzard with Dustin Hammett and Thomas Umstead Jr. Welcome back to Liberty Buzzard, where we clean up the highways of American discourse by picking through the fake news, false news, and just dead carrion laying around. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And with me is Dustin Hammett. And uh, there's pretty much only one thing to talk about in the news today. And that is President Donald J. Trump uh, is hanging out with dictator Kim Jong-il. Kim Jong-un. And Thomas, had, Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un. Oh, you're right. It's it's the uh, clone. Yeah. Uh, the, the younger clone. The little clone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was so 10 years ago. Yeah. Sorry, I got my names mixed up. There's this fascinating thought experiment, though. Uh, now with in vitro fertilization and freezing embryos, you could have a dictator who decides that all of the descendants, all the kings of his country for the next thousand years will be his own sons. And he just freezes a bunch of embryos. And every 40 years, they defrost a new dictator and raise him up. And you just have is it, is it a son? son? I mean, what's the relationship to yourself? I mean, it's it's an independent being, but it's your direct clone. No, it wouldn't be a clone. It would be a child. So, we, like, we do in vitro fertilization Oh, I see now. what you're saying, but you're not a, talking about a direct clone. A couple is on infertile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, but it would be a direct descendant. And so you'd have, and you wouldn't be able to control. I don't think there's a way to know what the gender is of an embryo. Um, maybe there will be in the future. But anyway, let the, let that stew in your mind that you could have, you know, the, you know, 10th son of George Washington as king of the United States. I mean, at <laughs> some point, you know, the freezer has got to go bad, like a bad bag of chicken in the freezer that's been there too long. You can't exactly eat it anymore. Right. I mean, at some point, the embryos have got to go bad. Yeah, I don't I don't know how long they can. I think they can last for a really long time, like hundreds of years. It's assuming the electricity stays good. Sometimes the electricity doesn't stay good. There's a bunch of embryos died uh, when that hurricane hit a few months ago. So yeah. Big tragedy. A lot of people are very unhappy. Like I said, but, uh, speaking of, of a lot of people very... <laughs> speaking of people being very unhappy, let's talk about this peace accord. Uh, so Trump and uh, the Kim dictator Kim uh, have been having this fascinating on again, off again, flirtatious courtship for the last six months or so. Uh, it was precipitated by a new president being elected in South Korea. Uh, who wanted to restart the what was called green light or daylight policy towards North Korea being very friendly to North Korea. So he started doing lots of friendly overtures towards North Korea, which created this very interesting dichotomy. Because you had Trump, who was playing bad cop, and the South Korean uh, president, who was uh, whose name is President Moon Jae-in. Uh, and he... Um, was playing good cop and he invited the North Korea to come to the Olympics so that their women's hockey could all lose together, <laughs> uh, you know, because the North Korean players weren't very good. And, but it was great for peace. And that was ultimately what was more important. And um, so they're like, Hey, let's have a peace meeting, which is a big deal because no president of North Korea has ever met with a president of the United States. And so they passed a, or they signed a, like a letter of intent. It's kind of like when you're buying a house, you're like, put down some earnest money. And you're like, I intend to buy this house, but we have to work out all the details. That's kind of where they are with their peace treaty, which I think is, is pretty exciting. What are your thoughts, Dustin? You know, my, my biggest thoughts of this are, um, A, good on Donald Trump for trying. You know, uh, what's the definition of insanity is is trying the same thing over and over again, expecting the same result. 
And we've essentially been trying the same thing over and over again since, uh, you know, with the, the, the original peace accord, uh, the armistice, which I think was 1953, 54, I can't remember the exact year. But it's been pretty much the same the whole time. Uh, nothing but rhetoric and, and words going back and forth the whole time. And even President Obama, I believe... And we've been at war this whole time. Yeah, technically at war this whole time. Um, even President Obama uh, made mention of the fact of meeting with North Korea. But I think he got so much political pushback that he decided he didn't want to cast his political capital on that. Um, that's my interpretation of his decision anyway. <laughs> but Donald Trump doesn't give a crap about political capital. And, um, you know, the narcissist that he is... He has his own political capital. It's the best political capital. He's got so much political capital, he can never run out. <laughs> you know, I don't think either one of us is we're, we're, we're fans of Donald Trump, but at the same time, i got to give it to the guy. He's thinking outside the box. Or maybe if he's not thinking outside the box, he's acting outside the box. And words are one thing, but actions are different. He's going out there and he's trying. And uh, what uh, what absolutely amazes me is... Across the spectrum out there, you pretty you got you got a lot of camps, right? You got you got the MAGA types, the Trump hardcore supporters, who are saying this is the best thing ever. Uh, this is a huge coup. Um, Donald Trump is amazing, and they certainly could be right. I mean, they might be right. Um, then you have the left who is out there, you know, the the Robert Robert De Niroists out there who are saying, you know, f Trump, whatever the cost, no matter what he does, anything he does is going to be bad. The Bill Maher's of the world who want everything to be terrible just so Trump looks bad, no matter the cost. And then you have people that are kind of span in the middle, like even you know the conservative Ben Shapiro uh, put out there on uh, on on his Daily Wire today. He was a very lukewarm uh, statement about about the whole deal. He says either. He pulled off a coup, like I said, or uh, he just gave a thumbs up to a terrible dictator, which is possibly true. Um, and the, the thing is, is only time will tell, you know. Uh, will Kim actually start coming toward the middle? Will he actually start coming toward the side of peace? Or is he just playing everybody? Is he, in the fact, the one who's an evil genius? And it's tough to tell. My position right now is good on President Trump for trying. Um, because you know what? You'll there never was, know there was a... <laughs> until you try. That's right. There was this uh, idea that only Nixon could go to China. Um, so back in the day, we were enemies of China. There was no economic exchange, hardly, between the countries. And Democrats had tried to go to China, but no one trusted them not to sell the farm, so to speak. And then you have this guy, Richard Nixon, who runs on an anti-communist platform. And then when he goes to China, the American people trusted that he wouldn't sell us out to the Chinese because he was so anti-Chinese in his rhetoric. And he ended up getting a peace agreement with China or an understa a statement of understanding with China, got China to no longer be friends with Russia, which really alienated the USSR, which was our big real enemy at the time, and started a trade arrangement with China that has ended up being very good for China and very good for the United States, uh, arguably. And I think that Trump in the same way has an advantage with North Korea because he's seen as such a aggressive, mean, bully person. And because his rhetoric against North Korea was so harsh for so long, no one or at least not the Republicans fear that he's going to sell us out to the North Koreans. Whereas if Obama went over there, even though uh, Obama may have made the exact same agreement, I don't think that he had the same trust from the right that he wouldn't sell us out. Uh, and if, if that same photo of Obama giving 
Kim the thumbs up, the right would have lost their minds. Absolutely, they would have. They would have (laughs) lost it. I mean, that's the problem with entrenched camps on either side, right? Is they're going to lose their minds and they're going to spin it to their to their thinking, no matter what. Um, And it's it is problematic for for the peace accords because. Once again, you got people like Bill Maher out there who are saying, hey, I don't care what happens. I want there to be an economic collapse just so the guy looks bad, which is obviously just so wrongheaded in so many ways. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting perspective. Uh, I, <laughs> it makes me nervous comparing Trump to Nixon, but I think there's a lot of people out there who will see the similarities. But uh, to go a step further... <laughs> To go a step further, in, and, and we have to remember that when you're talking about China uh, in the 70s, you're talking about a Maoist regime. Uh, when you're talking about Russia uh, in the early and mid-80s, you're talking about a Leninist regime, and the two are very, very close cousins. And Ronald Reagan, uh, a lot could be argued for him uh, bringing forth perestroika and glasnost and the fall of the Berlin Wall simply by opening a dialogue that uh, hadn't previously been open. Uh, with uh, um, with uh, what I'm, I'm drawing up with uh, uh, Gorbachev, so you know um, there's a lot of people out there who who say no, just uh, we we just want war. Uh, <laughs> that's a that's a that's a that's always as Kenneth Hazlitt will say in his uh, Economics in One Lesson. That is always a really terrible choice. Um, even when we went to war with Hitler, which is absolutely a righteous war, what was the economic cost? Um, it was huge. And uh, so to sit here and say that despite the fact that Kim Jong-un is a despot with all these gulags and he's done terrible things, yes, but to not talk to him, to only invite hostilities, I think the cost is worth more than going out there and looking the man in the eye, patting him on the back, saying, hey, yeah, you're a great guy. Now quit being a douche. You know, I I, I think it's worth the effort. Yeah, what's going to be better for the North Korean people in the long run? We can continue isolating North Korea, which doesn't help their people. And if you don't believe me, we've tried it for 50 years. And then we tried it for 18 more years after that. And it's not helped their people. Their people are worse off each year than the previous year. Or imagine if we're able to actually end the war and people are able to move uh, across that border, across the demilitarized zone. Families are able to reunite. Food and money is able to cross the border uh, p- the people in North Korea will be benefited. Absolutely. <laughs> a they will. lot. Absolutely. Right? They will. Like, they won't be starving. Like it, it, you can feel righteous of like, Oh, we're sticking it to this dictator and we're making him suffer, but you're not making him suffer. If you look at the guy, he's huge, right? He's not starving. His people are starving. You're not hurting him with these policies. You're hurting his people, his people who had nothing to do with him being in power. And that's really, it's the feeling of righteousness without the act actuality of righteousness and you know there are entrenched camps in this country who want continual war because they make money off of it there are people there's you know war is a trillion dollar industry for the united states and there's a lot of piglets who are feeding off of that war and they want the war to continue and any indication for peace they see as less money in their own pocket and those interests fund candidates like graham from south carolina who is anti any kind of peace with anyone at any time. So it's like, oh, are we making friends with uh, Cuba? I can't do it. It's terrible. And any other kind of, you know, thing that would mean less money flowing into the military industrial complex. He's just really opposed. And I think, you know, I agree with Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers. I don't think there should ever be a time when you're unwilling to talk with an enemy. 
Like oftentimes the United States has this policy of like, we're not going to talk to you until you meet these preconditions. And I think that that is a very pro-war and a really stupid position because talk, there's no harm in talking. It's sending diplomats over there, you know, you put them on a plane and fl- it's not very expensive. You compare that to dropping bombs on the country, it's way cheaper. And sure, 99 times out of 100, those talks may come to nothing, but there's always a chance that you actually can come to an agreement and bring about peace. And, you know, our relationship with Vietnam, we bombed them like crazy and that didn't help. And now we trade with them, yeah. right? We have factories there. You're absolutely right. It's, it's like, yeah, it's an incredible relationship. I was just thinking about that, our relationship with Vietnam. You know, Vietnam, Russia, China, all these uh, formerly Maoist, Leninist, Marxist countries we had terrible wars with. Uh, cold or hot, um, and now we're trading partners with. Why? Because we open dialogue with them, right? So Vietnam is another interesting one. Uh, I'm looking at some uh, talking points on what was actually accomplished between Trump and Kim. One of them, you know, a lot of people are saying, hey, we didn't get anything substantive from, from Kim Jong-un. Well, you know, it's the initial talk, baby steps. We can't go in there and ask for the world. You ask for baby steps. So what do we promise? We said, hey, we're not going to go out there and play war with South Korea for the time being. All right. Uh, is that really a big deal? Which nah. is a really easy concession. It's a pretty easy that concession. That saves us money. It saves a lot of money. <laughs> it saves People have no idea how much those military exercises cost. They cost, just to go out there and play war, cost a lot of money. Um, so yeah, so that, I mean, that was an easy give just to sit, go, you know, soldiers, we're not leaving Korea, go sit in your barracks and play Xbox for a little while while we, while we figured out what's going on here. They said, Hey, yeah, we're going to get rid of our nuclear program. It's a promise. It's a handshake deal. Will they, won't they, who knows the biggest one that I see here. And this is why uh, I like what you said about Vietnam. The biggest one that I see here and people don't appreciate I think how big this is because it's so big because it's so small. A little bit of irony there. Let me explain. The United States and North Korea committed to recovering the POW MIA remains um, of those killed in North Korea. That's huge. That's, in my opinion, kind of how uh, the, the the peace with North Korea, or I'm sorry, with uh, with uh, Vietnam started. You start with these baby steps. Hey, we're going to go in there. We're going to patch up you know, uh, people's feelings from this war we had 50 years ago. Now, all of a sudden, you see good faith in the form of American remains in coffins draped in American flags coming back home. And it shows, and it's a really easy give by Kim, and it's good PR for him, too. It shows that the cooperation can continue. And if you can start with something really small like that, something really easy for Kim to give, then we can ask for more. Then we can ask for more. Then we can ask for more. But for people to criticize President Trump and to go out there and say, oh, well, he didn't give anything whatsoever, I think it's completely wrongheaded. As a matter of fact, whatever diplomat was advising Trump advised him to start with uh, recovering POW MIA remains from the Korea War, I think is an absolutely genius diplomatic move. And, and if you don't believe Dustin, think about it in your own life. If you've had a break of a relationship, let's say somebody you were really close to and you had a huge falling out, and you tried to reconcile that relationship, you don't reconcile the relationship and become best friends or become lovers overnight. Like, that takes time to rebuild that trust. And if it's that way with individuals, it's got to be that way with countries, too. And the wonderful thing about this MIA remains 
is that let's say worst case scenario, all of these talks fall to pieces. Trump tweets out something crazy, hurts Kim's feelings and everything ends. We still have those remains back. <laughs> those families were now were able to mourn those uh, American military men and women are buried now and, and cemeteries in the United States. Like that's permanent. Like we have given ten, uh, non-permanent things, right? Cause we can restart the war games anytime we want. That's not some permanent give in exchange for something permanent, even if it is something small. And I, I agree. I think that that's a great thing to get back. And it also is a great thing to kind of say to the military. It's like, look, even if it takes us 70 years, we're going to do whatever we can so that no man is left behind. That's right. And this whole process is going to start with a bunch of small things. So people who think that next year, you know, the Koreas are going to unite. Kim Jong-un's going to be deposed and everybody's going to be happy. Clap, clap, unicorn, rainbows. You're, you're, you're deluding yourself. This is going to be, uh, this is going to be a slow process. It's going to be a drawn out process. It took after the initial meeting with Reagan, uh, with, uh, Gorbachev, which I can't, I, I don't remember exactly the year, but it took a few years for the Soviet Union really to fall. So it's not going to be an overnight process. It's going to start small and diplomatically, that's how you build momentum. Um, and I actually think that this whole meeting, I think that this is great for Donald Trump. And I think this is a coup. And this is coming from somebody who didn't vote for Donald Trump. I think he actions speak louder than words. And I think this action says a lot. Yeah. So here's here's an interesting question for you, Dustin, because I, I didn't vote for Trump either. Uh, but let's say that he actually ends the Korean War. So 50, 60 years, however long the Korean War has been in its, quote, cold state. It's still been an active war. My grandfather fought in the Korean War, or was a doctor in the Korean War, and he's got medals from the United Nations, actually, because this technically was a United Nations police action. True, yeah, true. Um, (laughs) So it's like, uh, I don't know if I'm comfortable with these medals coming from the United Nations. This is an American It was a different uh, United Nations than Thomas. (laughs) It's true. The United Nations is just like some blue paint that we put over the other blue paint that was America. Exactly. (laughs) uh, All of a sudden. (laughs) Uh, But... Anyway, so let's say he actually brings an end to the war. What are the odds that Trump would get a Nobel Peace Prize? Slim to none. I say zero. Zero. <laughs> because the Norwegians that give out that pot prize hate Trump. And there's not because that prize isn't about what you do nearly as much as it is about who you are. It's politics, right? Obama right? won it. Exactly. Uh, Right. So Obama won it nine months after he was president, but the voting on whether or not he would get it actually happened just like a few weeks after he was president. So he literally did nothing to earn it other than be elected. It was purely on the hope that he would be peaceful uh, as an American president. So I, I I just don't see it happening. Uh, it would be it would be hilarious if it did, but uh, I, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, I think it's uh, uh, very doubtful. I... Uh, like you already very, very intelligently said, it's a popularity contest over there in Norway. Um, and based on in the past who has gotten the Nobel Prize, one has to start taking that uh, whole prize with a big grain of salt. So uh, does he get the prize? Frankly, I don't care. Yeah, I, I am very optimistic about this. And I will say, I'm not too concerned about North Korea's nuclear weapons. Like, a lot of people are really nervous that they have nuclear weapons. But the reality is, how would they put those to use? So however many nuclear weapons North Korea has, the United States has more. We have better weapons. And we have second strike capabilities. Which means that if somehow they surprise the United States and turn the entire United States to ashes, we would still nuke them. 
uh, submarines underneath the water and satellites up in space would drop nukes down on North Korea. So there would be no North Korea. There's no scenario that North Korea could ever use their nuclear weapons in exist as a nation like even if every missile found its home that still would not happen like there's no way they can use their nuclear weapons and so that that's not the fear that i have like i'm not afraid that they're actually going to nuke somebody uh if the russians weren't willing to do it and if the united americans weren't willing to do it right we have mutually assured destruction going both ways how is a tiny country like north korea willing to do it the the real fear for me is all of their short range and medium range artillery pointing at Seoul, South Korea, which is the main reason why we haven't invaded North Korea up to this point. Because conquering North Korea is relatively trivial, or it was until recently. But the problem is there was no way to do it without losing half the population of South Korea in the process. And that's not a, a exchange we're willing to make. And I think for good reason, right? The South Koreans don't want that. And there's we're not gaining anything for doing that. And so I think peace is the only path forward here. And uh, what's fascinating is that the Chinese finally are actually willing to play ball. Because for a long time, China has used North Korea as a way of getting concessions from the United States. Uh, so uh, China wants some trade concessions. They'll encourage North Korea to make lots of a ruckus and do scary military things. And then the American president has to go to the Chinese and be like, hey, will you calm down your dog and get it to stop barking? And the Chinese are like, yeah, but you have to give us this trade deal to get for us to get the dog to stop barking. And so we're like, okay, fine. Here's the trade deal. And then they're like, okay, Kim, shut up. And Kim shuts up and they get more concessions. And uh, China's finally not doing that. And I hear that part of the reason for that is that the nuclear test that North Korea was doing inside of a mountain, the mountain collapsed and radiation started leaking into Russia, into China. And China was like, no more. <laughs> we don't want that. <laughs> the, the scary barking dog has gotten out of hand. <laughs> so North Korea is now finally dangling in the wind on their own without China kind of protecting them. And uh, I think that's really fortunate. And it's almost like an act of God causing this uh, place where they were testing their nuclear bombs to stop being a safe place to test bombs in. Well, act of God or just an act of a nuclear weapon or, you know, maybe they're one and the same. I don't know. But uh, I think you're right. Uh, I think <laughs> North Korea has become more of a liability for China than it has become an asset. Um, a lot of people and I'm definitely not briefed in at the highest levels on uh, what's going on with China. All I know is my, my lay perspective, which you know could be way off the mark. I don't know. But my lay perspective is, is that China is the Chinese leadership are smart enough to know that they are in a far better position doing business with us than they are going to war with us. Um, you know, whether, whether they've read Hazlitt's book or not, I'm not sure. But I think they're smart enough to know that a war is a whole lot less profitable than doing business. And uh, I think that they've come to that realization. I think Kim Jong-un and all the Kims and North Korea in general has become more of a liability than it has become an asset. And I would not be surprised, uh, once again, not having any knowledge of all what's going on in the intelligence community. I would not be surprised if uh, China was very subversively behind this entire process. I mean, I think uh, they are the, the, the man behind the curtain, and I think they played a huge part in all this. It's just nobody knows about it. <laughs> it's I, I would not doubt that at all. And some people are like, oh, but didn't war with the Germans like get us out of the Great Depression? And I think that that really misinterprets what happens because during the war, things got worse, not better. 
my grandmother tells of you know they sh- they couldn't buy sugar they had to like crush lemon drops to sweeten their tea because they couldn't actually buy sugar because it was rationed or tires so all of these things were rationed yeah couldn't buy tires like imagine like going to the store and not being able to buy something unless you have a card from the government that gives you permission to buy that thing like how is that better? <laughs> that's not better. That's worse. And they had to suffer through that for years until the war was over. And then after the war was over and we stopped all of that government spending, everyone's like, oh, it's going to be the end of the world. The government's not spending all this money and stimulating the economy and creating these jobs. It's going to be a crash. We're going to go back to the depression. What happened? Biggest boom ever. <laughs> we had like a 15-year bull run where everything was going great. Now, Granted, some of that was because we blew up everyone else's factories and we had the only factories left. So there's always there's, that. There is a little bit. <laughs> so, you know, the, the, you have to look at things in context. But one war and one, you know, timing doesn't prove that war so- somehow is good for the economy. The reality is we, when you're at war, you spend money on things that blow up and then they cease to exist. When you're at peace, you spend money building bridges and houses where you build the thing and it continues to exist and provide value. And make the world around it a better place. And the longer you're at peace, the wealthier you become as a nation. And that seems like so obvious, but there's this thinking in a lot of people's heads, especially people who are part of the military industrial complex. You know, they have friends in the military or they work for a contractor uh, or they um, work for the military. And like, oh, we have to be at war so that my family is stimulated. It's like, believe it or not, your personal finances will be more stimulated at peace than they will be at war. Yeah, so, you know, I think uh, I think we agree, Thomas. You know, give peace a chance. You know, <laughs> Liberty Buzzard, Peace Nick's Anonymous. You can call us whatever you want. We know what we want to know what you think, so uh, drop us a line, shoot us an email, Twitter, text, Facebook, what have you, and uh, let us know what uh, you think about the topic today. Uh, I'm Dustin Hammett, and my co-host Thomas Umstadt, and we will talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>